are excited to continue our series today entitled Make Room for the King. And so we're going to look together in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, and we're going to talk a little bit today about how we can continue to enlarge our hearts, amen, uh, and our lives and make room for the King being Jesus. And the Bible says in Luke 2 verse 7, and she, speaking of Mary, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And in John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, And then the woman of Samaria said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so we started out last week saying that if we only knew, right? I believe that what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman is true to us today. If we only knew who Jesus was, and if we only knew the gift that he brings into our lives, I believe every single day of our lives, 365 days a year, we would consistently and continually make room in our lives for him. But the challenge is, is that uh, even in our families, if you think about this, the challenge is, is that when we get comfortable with people or we get familiar with people, we begin to stop celebrating people. I mean, the same is true not just of God, but also in relationships, right? Think about your marriage. The more familiar you get with each other, the more comfortable you get around each other, there is a tendency, if we're not careful, to stop celebrating the person we really love more than anybody else. And that happens in church, right? That happens in the hearts and the lives of Christians. We get so used to coming to church, so used to the grace of God, so used to seeing God work in our lives that we become so familiar with the supernatural. Because I'm just going to tell you, this is a supernatural church. I mean, people are getting healed, people are getting delivered, people are getting saved, people are getting set free. I mean, it is week in, week out, day in, day out, we are seeing the supernatural power of God manifested in tangible, real ways in people's lives. And what's crazy is, is we get so comfortable and so familiar with it, we almost stop celebrating it. We almost stop making a big deal that this morning at 8 o'clock somebody got saved. That's a big deal. We almost forget to make a big deal that somebody got baptized this morning. Right? I talked to pastors and church leaders, and they've been 12 months and nobody got saved, and they've been three years and baptized zero. And we see it every week, and we see it every month, and we see it consistently. God is changing lives. But what happens is, is we get familiar with things. We get familiar with God. We get familiar with the environment of Christianity. And all of a sudden, we stop celebrating. And here's even something that happens worse than that is sometimes not only do we stop celebrating, but sometimes we actually become critical of the thing we ought to be celebrating. Think about it in your marriage, right? Think about it in your relationships, the people you love more than anybody, the people you're more familiar with, the people you're closest with, the people you can be yourself with. You'll stop celebrating them if you're not careful. And then if you're not careful, you'll move from not only not celebrating them to becoming critical of them and becoming judgmental of their faults and their failures because you know them better than everybody else knows them and you know all the things they really don't do right. And the same thing happens in church. Same thing happens with God. Same thing happens with Christianity. We get so familiar, so comfortable with God. We get so used to seeing Him work and so many things happening that if we're not careful, we stop celebrating Him and then we actually become critical. Maybe not so much of God, but of His children. 
of his church. And so my prayer for us through these few weeks is that we would rediscover who Jesus is. And that we would see him in a fresh and a powerful light. That we would, we would know who he is and we would understand the gift that he wants to bring into our lives. And that we would grab hold of him in a fresh and in a powerful way. And we would let the freshness of who he is revitalize our hearts so that we would celebrate him. And we would, we would declare him and we would become intimate with him in a way that would exceed anything we've ever known before in our lives. So the question we ask is who is he, right? Who is Jesus and what gift does he bring? Last week. Week, we said he is the God of hope. Amen. And he brings us the gift of hope. Today we want to talk about another aspect of who he is. Let's look at that next statement on your outline. Not only is he the God of hope, but the Bible says he is the Prince of Peace. And he brings the gift of peace. Let me give you a couple of scriptures here. Isaiah 9 verse 6 and 7 says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And His government and its peace will never end. And He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of His ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Now look in Luke 2, verse 13 and 14. Back to the Christmas story. The Bible says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And then John 14, verse 27, Jesus is speaking. And he says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. John 16, 33, Jesus is speaking again. And he says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He is the Prince of Peace. How many are you glad about that today? I am glad today that He is the Prince of Peace. So let's talk about that. Peace of mind. Look at that next statement. Peace of mind and peace of heart. I want you to see this. Are supernatural gifts that we receive from God, and they are gifts that the world can never give us. Jesus said, the peace that I give to you is a peace that the world can never give you. Now, last week we talked about that there were two kinds of hope. There was an external hope, right? An external hope that whenever I start seeing good things happen, I can begin to expect more good things to happen. But then we said that there's also an inner hope. That is a gift from God. It's a supernatural gift where God gives us an inner hope. There is an expectation of good that, that, is, that is greater than the circumstantial evidence of my life. And I can have hope when my world says there's no reason to hope. I want you to understand the peace of God is the same way. There is an external peace, right? There are moments, and they're, they're really, they're, they're moments, <laughs> There are moments in our life where everybody gets along and everybody's happy and our world is at peace. And I mean, they are small moments. Right? Every mama in here knows, right? Every mama in here, the most important gift every mama wants for Christmas is on Christmas morning, all I want is everybody to get along. Right? We got the family get together. All right, everybody, family get together. Everybody, all I want y'all to do is get along. It's my birthday. All I want y'all to do is get along. 
right? Because we understand in the chaotic, crazy world we live in, for everybody just in your family to get along, <laughs> that's a miracle, <laughs> right? Those are, those are little snapshot moments that don't happen a lot, right? I mean, when they happen, we're like, whoo, praise God for that five minutes. Wasn't that great? External peace is, is far and few between. It is, it is almost an impossibility to experience in our world because our world is so chaotic, so selfish, so self-centered, so self-focused, right, that we're so consumed in ourselves we have a hard time thinking about other people. External peace is far and few between, but the Bible tells us that there is a gift of peace that the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ himself, gives to us. And this is a supernatural peace. This is a peace that is greater than the circumstances of your life. This is a peace of God that the Bible says actually surpasses your understanding. What does that mean? It means it doesn't even make sense, right? You look at what's happening around you and you should be upset, but you're not upset. You're at peace. Why? Because you have made room for the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, to come into your heart. Now, now, the Bible actually uh, describes peace, and it, it describes it, it uses those words there on the screen. It says, literally, when you look up the Greek definition for the word peace, peace means to have inner tranquility. It means to have inner harmony, and it means to have an inner calm. But it's an interesting word because the word there for peace uses those three definitions, but then it, then it kind of says this statement. Then it says, but it's also a tranquility, a harmony, and a calm that produces prosperity. So the idea is this. When you have peace, peace empowers you to prosper. Now, when we think of prosperity, we think of money. But how many of you understand money is not prosperity? The biblical definition for prosperity literally means to help someone along the road, to help them reach their destination, right? So if you had a flat tire and somebody stopped and helped you change your flat tire so you could get to work and not be late, they actually prospered you. They prospered you. They helped you reach your destination. God wants to prosper you. God wants to prosper you. How many of you know that there are some financial destinations we need to reach, right? Some of you it's Sunday, and some of you are already thinking today, I got to make this much money this week. I got, some, I got some, some business goals, some contracts that have to be closed. If I don't get it closed for, for next week, Christmas is coming, everybody's going to be out of the office. If I don't close the deal before this week, I'm not going to close the deal, right? If I don't make these contacts this week, I'm not going to make these contacts. If I don't accomplish this task this week, it's going to be weeks before I can do this, right? And so we have goals. Let me tell you what, God wants to prosper you. God wants to help you reach the destination, accomplish the purposes, the task, and the goals that are in your life. And here's the great thing. It is the gift of peace that God uses to prosper us. Now Jesus said that the peace he gives is a gift the world can't give us. I was doing a little research this week and I, I kind of found some alarming statistics. Statistically speaking, uh, the United States of America is the most anxious, stressed out people on the planet. There is more anxiety in Americans' hearts than in any other segment of society on the planet. Now think about that. Literally over, I, th I think the statistic is like 80% and maybe higher than that, but something like 80% of the world lives on less than $1 a day. 
Their monthly income is $30. They're living on less than $1 a day, and we're stressed out. We're anxious. See, that's just proof that money doesn't prosper you. Money doesn't give you peace. Money might give you a, quote, financial stability and security, but it doesn't give you peace of heart and peace of mind. Only Jesus can give you an inner peace, an inner tranquility, a harmony, and a calm that will sustain you and minister to you and empower you to prosper in every area of your life. Statistics say that if, another, if a person from another country moves to America, within just a few months, their stress level, their anxiety rises. Here's a great statistic. This one, I don't know how they got this, but this is what they said. Uh, they said that, that a college student in America today, 2017, a college student in America, has more anxiety than the patient than a patient in the insane asylum in the 1950s. So if you were a patient in the insane asylum in the 1950s, you had less anxiety than a college student in America today. That don't even make sense. But how many of you realize we live in a stressed out, anxious filled world? Why? Because anxiety is the opposite of peace. If peace is an inner tranquility, then the world gives us an anxiety that robs us. So think about this. Peace empowers us to prosper. What does anxiety do? Anxiety cripples you. Anxiety hinders you. Anxiety robs you of your ability to prosper, to reach your destination financially, relationally, spiritually, emotionally. Think about it. Think about when you're stressed out, when you're full of anxiety and you're full of worry and you're full of fear, you don't think clearly. You don't make good decisions. You don't make good choices. You don't respond relationally in a way that is healthy. Financially, you don't function properly. You don't perform at your best level. I mean, you are literally crippled by anxiety. Anxiety takes you out of the game where the peace of God empowers you to win in the game of life and prosper and do your best. Why? Because when I have peace on the inside, I can perform at my best ability. When I have peace on the inside, I can make good decisions and good choices. When I have peace on the inside, I can give my best effort at what I'm putting my hands to do, whether it's cleaning the house, fixing the car, or ministering the gospel. I can do my best work when I have peace. But anxiety undermines your prosperity. Anxiety keeps you from reaching your destination. Anxiety keeps you from reaching financial goals, relational goals, physical goals, spiritual goals, ministry goals. You'll not accomplish the things you know you were called to do because anxiety robs you, disconnects you, stifles you, and comes against you like an enemy that wants to keep you oppressed and pushed down so you can't grab hold of what God has purposed for you. So having said all that, why do I say all that? I say all that to reiterate the reality that we need 
the peace of God. And we need to make room for the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, every single day in our lives. Why do I need to make room for Jesus every day? Because every day I'm being bombarded by the anxious, stressful, worry-filled world that we live in that is trying to rob me of my peace. And here's the reality. When you realize that anxiety tries to rob you of your peace, you realize it's not really just trying to rob you of peace. It's trying to rob you of prosperity. Anxiety wants to keep you from reaching the destination God has purposed for your life. So instead of pressing in and pulling through, we hold back and we withdraw. And we allow anxiety to rob us of the thing that God most desperately wants to do in our lives. So let's answer the question together today. How do we make room for that, right? Look at that next point. So when we make room for Jesus, we make room for peace. So how do we make room for the Prince of Peace and the gift of peace that he brings? Well, Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul gives us a prescription for peace. He gives us a biblical prescription for peace. And what he actually does in Ephesians 4 is he identifies three specific things that we need to do in our lives that if we will do these three things, they will allow us to make room for Jesus, to make room for the Prince of Peace, to make room for the gift of peace that Jesus Christ brings into our lives so we can prosper and succeed in reaching the destination, the purpose, the plan, the goals that God has for our lives. Amen? So Philippians 4, let's read through this together, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to kind of dissect each verse and kind of pull out this prescription for peace. He starts out by saying, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Look at verse 7. And then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. Now look at this next statement. I'm going to pause here for just a second. He says, and then his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The word there for guard is an interesting word. It, le it literally means to raise up a military defense that guards you against hostile invasion or takeover. So not only does the peace of God empower you to reach the places God wants you to reach and do the things God wants you to do and become the person God wants you to become, but the peace of God also sets up a wall of defense that keeps the hostile invasion of the enemy of anxiety from coming in and stifling what God wants to do. So peace not only empowers me to go where I need to go, but peace protects me along the way as I journey toward what God has for my life. And that's an awesome thing. Amen? Yeah. Now look at verse 8. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Verse 9, keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. Let's go back to verse 6. Let's look at this first little nugget of prescription for peace. Number 1, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So the first ingredient, if you're going to make room for the Prince of Peace and the peace of God that he wants to give you is that you've got to make a decision that you're going to stop worrying and you're going to start praying. You're going to stop worrying. Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. 
Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. What you've got to understand is that anxiety and worry ought to be triggers that cause you to pray. Anxiety and worry should be triggers that cause you to pray. Right? Because if it is important enough that you're anxious about it, it's important enough for you to pray about it. I've actually met people who say, well, Pastor Keith, I don't pray about this and I don't pray about that because those are carnal things and those don't really matter to God. How many of you know everything matters to God? You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body, and everything matters to God. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, everything matters to God. There is no such thing as an area of your life that is off limits to the purpose and plan of God. And so the Bible says don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, the reality is simply this. We, can't, we, we cannot live in a world right now, in this sinful world, we can't live in a world that is anxiety-free. Right? There are opportunities every day to be anxious and worried. Every day. Right? Opportunities every day to be anxious and worried. But this is what you've got to do. You've got to decide, I'm not going to make room for anxiety. I'm going to make room for peace. I'm going to make room for peace. How am I going to make room for peace? When I get anxious, instead of worrying about it, I'm going to pray about it. Instead of worrying about my family, I'm going to pray about my family. Instead of worrying about my finances, I'm going to pray about my finances. Instead of worrying about my children or my job or my own health, I'm going to pray about those things and allow God to work. I'm going to invite the Prince of Peace to come into that situation instead of allowing a spirit of fear to torment me all the days of my life. Because when you give place, when you allow anxiety to become worry, you give place to the spirit of fear who begins to rob you of not only your peace, but your joy and your ability to do what God has called you to do. And guess what? You stop prospering. You stop reaching your destination. You stop moving forward. You stop, you stop your forward progression. When you get full of anxiety, you just kind of sit down and lay down and waller in it. Right? Hey, we're all guilty. We've all been there. We've all done that. We've all allowed anxiety to turn into worry, give place to the spirit of fear. And before we know it, instead of pressing in, we're pulling away. Instead of making progress, we've laid down and we're wallowing in that very thing that is robbing us of what God has for our lives. And so we have to make a decision, right? We have to worry about nothing, but instead pray about Everything. Jesus actually said this about worry. He said, worry will not add one cubic to your stature. Whenever I was growing up, I loved basketball. I'm 6'3", and I love basketball, and I wanted to be 6'4", and 6'5", and 6'6", and 6'7", and 6'8", and 6'9". Because I always thought if I was taller, I'd be better. Right? If I was taller, I'd be better. I'm tall, but I need to be taller. If I was taller, I'd be better. And so I, I, used to, I used to wish, want, and worry about being taller. If I could just be taller, I'd be better. And if I could just be taller, I'd be better. But I mean, you know, worrying about being taller didn't make me taller. Actually, worrying about being taller made me smaller. Because anxiety robbed me of the potential of playing as a 6'3 player. And instead of playing as a 6'3 player, I played as a 6'1 player because I was worrying about being 6'5. Think about your life. How many of you are playing below your potential? How many are playing below your potential today? 
because of anxiety, because of worry. See, worry sometimes comes as, I wish I was. Well, I just wish this would happen. I just wish this would happen. I just wish it. And if this would happen, if that would I just wish. And I just wish this. And I just wish everybody would get along. And I wish everybody loved each other. And I just wish everybody would, you know, I just wish. Many times our wishes are our worries. Many times our wishes are our worries. When the Bible says don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And then I love, I love the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul, in that next part of that verse, he actually tells us how to pray. So look what he says here. I love this. He says, so pray about everything. Let me tell you how to pray, he says. So this is how you pray. Tell God what you need. Tell God what you need. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. So tell God what you need. And then the Holy Spirit quickened this to me. He said, Keith, if peace is intended to prosper you, then you need to tell me what you need in order to prosper. Tell me what you need in order to prosper. What does that mean? It simply means this. This is what the Holy Spirit said. He said, Keith, I want you to get specific in your prayer. Because what happens many times is, is we have these little generic prayers. Lord, bless my family, bless my money, bless my job, bless the church, bless this, bless that. And Lord, just bless everything. And I mean, no, God actually does answer those crazy prayers, right? He answers generic prayers all day long. But let me tell you what I found out about, about specific prayer. Specific prayer produces greater glory for God. Because when you pray a generic prayer, God bless us. Bless our family. Well, God blesses your family. But because your prayer was so generic, you don't even recognize that God was working. And so you consume your blessing and you just keep on living. And God blesses you and you consume your blessing and you just keep on living. And you consume your blessing and you just keep on living. But when you pray specific prayers and you ask God to do specific things at specific moments in specific people's lives, all of a sudden when God does those specific things... You don't consume your blessing and move on. You take a pause, a praise break, right? You say, God, I want to praise you, and God, I want to thank you because you did exactly what I asked you to do, exactly what I needed done, and you're just on time, and you're just in time, and you're awesome, and you're mighty, and you're holy, and you're glorious, and you're good, and you're great, and I love you, and I just want to praise you, and I just want to thank you because of what you've just done in my life. So the Bible says we need to tell God, tell God what you need. Specifically, tell God what you need. God, I need, I need something to happen by 3 o'clock on Tuesday. I need an opportunity on my job to talk to that person because if I don't get to talk to that person by Tuesday at 12 o'clock, I'm not going to be able to close the deal on Friday. They need to close with that person. So God, I'm asking you. This is what I need to prosper. I need this connection to happen on this day so I can make that connection on that day so I can close that deal on that day because, God, I believe you called me to be a light in the darkness, and this is the place you put me to work, and you said I ought to do what I do everywhere I'm at under the best of my ability, under the glory of God. And so, God, this is what they're hiring me to do. This is what they're wanting me to do, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. So, God, I need you to do this at this moment on this day so I can make that deal on that day so I can accomplish this and give you the glory. God, I need it. And, and so what happens is all of a sudden, this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Keith, what this is going to require is this is going to require you to think about your prayers. To think about what do you actually need in order to prosper in that area? What do you actually need? What do you really need? 
Not just a generic, Lord, bless my money. Not just a generic, bless my family. Not just a generic, bless my kids. What do you really need me to do in this situation to get you where you know I've called you to go? Tell me what you need. Tell me what you need. Tell me specifically what you need. Well, God, I'm raising teenagers. I need patience. There you go. That's specific. Right? Because I want to kill them. No, I don't want to kill them. I want to raise them. So, Lord, I need patience today. Right? I need clarity today. I need favor in this area at this moment on this day. God, this is what I need. Tell God what you need. But your prayers aren't ended when you just tell God what you need because then he goes on, look what he says. He says, tell God what you need and then thank him for all that he has done. So you, you, you've not prayed until you've thought him, until you've thought, until you've thanked him for what he's done, not thought him, thanked him. Prayer is not just submitting a to-do list to God. Prayer is telling him what you need because he's told you to, right? He actually told us to let our requests be made known to him. Tell God what we need. We can do that. God tells us to do that. But then he says, don't just stop with telling me what you need. I want you to thank me for all I've done. See, my prayer's not done until I have taken time to thank him. I'm not just going to tell him, now I'm going to thank him. God, I'm going to tell you, Lord, this is what I need done specifically, but Lord, I want to thank you for what you've already done. I want to thank you for bringing my son already this far. I want to thank you for bringing our family already this far. I want to thank you for already meeting our financial needs. Lord, we wouldn't even be where we are needing what we need right now if you hadn't already showed up in a million different ways. And God, I want to thank you for all the things that you have already done in my life. And I want to praise you because you are good and you are faithful and you are awesome and you are my God. And Lord, I just want to thank you. And you know what that does? The Bible says, and then you will experience the peace of God. When I, when, I, when I stop worrying and I start praying and I tell God what I need and I thank Him for what He's done, then I will experience the peace of God. That makes room. What, is, what does that do? When I stop worrying and start praying, it makes room for the Prince of Peace to come into my life. And I begin to experience His peace. Now let's look a couple verses down. Look at verse 8. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So if we're going to make room for the Prince of Peace, we've got to refuse to worry about anything and pray about everything. And then the second thing we have to do is we have to fix our thoughts on what is true and lovely and honorable and praiseworthy and excellent. We've got to fix our thoughts on the right things. Now, let me just table this real quick because fixing your thoughts on the right thing doesn't mean you don't ever think about the wrong things. And what do I mean by that, by wrong things? I, you have to think about your problems and your challenges in order to know how to rightly pray about them. If I don't evaluate my financial crisis, then I don't know what I really need for a financial miracle. I say, God, I need some money. Well, how much money do you need? I need some. Well, how much is some? $100? $5? Penny? Oh, well, Lord, i got to find out how much money do I really need. And once I evaluate my crisis, I can now effectively submit my need. So it's not that I don't ever think about my problems or my challenges. I think about them long enough to effectively pray about them. 
but I don't fix my mind on. I have to fix my mind on the things that are right and honorable and true and just and excellent and praiseworthy. I got to pray about everything and fix my thoughts on the right thing. And when I begin to fix my thoughts on the right thing, and I begin to think about what is right, not what's wrong, what is good and not what's bad, what is excellent and not what's undermining, all of a sudden peace comes, right? Because how many know the opposite is exactly true? If you fix your mind on what's wrong, anxiety and worry and fear will come quickly. If all you think about is what's not working and what is wrong, and what's not going your way, and how nobody cares, and how nothing ever works in your favor. If that's all you think about, then guess what will happen? You've just opened the door to anxiety, worry, and fear. But if you fix your mind, fix your mind, fix your thoughts on what is true, and what is righteous, and what is holy, and what is admirable, and what is excellent, and what is praiseworthy. How many of you realize we really, every single day, we have thousands of things to praise God for? In the midst of all the stuff that's going wrong, there are so many things that are still going right. I'm breathing. Praise God, I'm breathing. God, right? Praise God, I can run away from that negative person. Thank you for my legs, God. Right? I mean, we got so many wonderful things to praise God for, right? And so we have to fix our thoughts, right? Again, that doesn't mean we don't evaluate our problems. It just means we don't fix our thoughts on our problems. We evaluate our problems so we can pray properly, but then we fix our thoughts on what is right, what is true, what is noble, what is just. And guess what happens? The Bible says this in Isaiah, God will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed or fixed on Him. I got to fix my mind on the Lord. I got to fix my thoughts on what is good and right and holy. Because what I think about, I'll talk about. And death and life is in the power of my tongue. Amen? Let me give you the last thought right here. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, And keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. So, so we have to pray about everything. We have to fix our thoughts on the right things. And then we have to practice what we've learned. We got to practice peace. We got to practice praying and thinking, 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 praying about everything and thinking about the right things. And I got to just keep practicing that. I got to keep practicing. I got to put into practice what I've learned. What have I learned? I've learned that I need to pray about everything and not worry about anything. And I've learned that I got to fix my thoughts on the right thing. I can't focus on the wrong things. And so now that I've learned those two things, I need to practice what I've learned. How many know there's power in repetition? Because when you keep doing and keep doing and keep doing and keep doing and keep doing, before long what you've been keeping on doing becomes an automatic response. And before you know it, when you're confronted with anxiety, instead of worrying, now you automatically pray. And instead of focusing on the wrong things, you automatically focus on the right things. Why? Because you kept on. When I keep on doing what I've learned, when I keep practicing what I've learned, you know what I'm doing? I'm making room for Jesus. I'm making room for peace. When I pray about instead of worry about my problems, I'm making room for Jesus. I'm making room for peace. When I fix my thoughts on what is right instead of what's wrong, I'm making room for Jesus. I'm making room for peace. And when I keep practicing what I know I'm supposed to do, just keep doing what I know I'm supposed to do, keep living the way I'm supposed to live, keep praying, keep thinking, keep praying, keep thinking, you know what happens? I'm just making room. Making room in my heart every single day for the peace of God. Now, let me give you one closing thought. It's the last point on your outline. You cannot experience the peace of God that empowers you to prosper in every area of your life 
until you have peace with God through Jesus Christ or through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You can't experience the peace of God until you have peace with God. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. The peace of God will keep your heart and your mind, but the peace, the peace with God is where we find our saving grace. Amen. Colossians 1, 19 through 22 says this, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the, on the cross. And this includes you. Includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. But yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. The Bible says, at one time we were all enemies with God. We were all the enemies of God. Now I want you to read that correctly. It doesn't say God was your enemy. It says you were God's enemy. If God was your enemy, you'd be dead. <laughs> I always say, if God's a sniper, you'd be taken out. <laughs> He's not a sniper in heaven trying to take you out. He is a Savior on a cross trying to redeem you and rescue you from a devil's hell. The Bible says we were enemies of God. What does that mean? We were fighting against God through our, through our evil thoughts and our actions. We were in opposition against God. We, we were fighting against God. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day so he can make peace between God and man. He made a pathway of peace so we could have peace with God. So this is what has to happen. I have to go from fighting Him to following Him. And today I wonder how many of you in this room here today have never really made that transition. You're sitting here thinking, man, Pastor Keith, I need the peace of God. Well, let me just give you the great good news. The only way to get the peace of God is to first have peace with God. You've got to first be reconciled to God through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, and receive the gift of reconciliation. And once that happens, you'll have peace with God, and it will open the door for the peace of God to come into your heart and your life and begin to cover and keep you. I want to ask you just to bow your heads for just a minute. We're going to get ready to close, but before we do, I want to, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I've never really, I've never made that commitment to move from fighting against God to following Him. Maybe you never realized you were fighting God, but now you think about it and you realize that your actions and even your thoughts have been in opposition to the Lord. And you've been doing your own thing, going your own way, and all the while God has been reaching out to you, and all the while God has been drawing you unto Himself. And through his death on the cross, the Bible says he made peace with everything between heaven and earth so that we could be reconciled, brought into a right relationship with God. See, God wants you to have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, but that only happens when we first have peace with God by receiving the gift of life that comes through Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I want to be saved, that's what the Bible calls it, being saved, being born again. I want to stop fighting, and today I want to commit my life to follow Jesus. I want to follow Him from this day forward, and I want to follow Him into life and life eternal. I want to ask Him to forgive me of my sins, and I want to commit my life to Him as my Lord and Savior to follow Him into eternity.
forever and ever and evermore. If that's your, if that's your heart's cry this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to be saved. I want to follow Christ today. I want you just to stand up all over this building. Just be bold right now. Just stand. I want to follow Christ today. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed, but God's looking at you. God's looking at you. Why is he looking at you? Not because he's your enemy, but because he's your friend, because he loves you and because he cares about you. And right now he's calling you. And there's something in your heart right now. Your heart, your heart is telling you, you need to stand up. You've been fighting God for too long. You need to follow him. You need to follow him. You need to commit your life to Christ today and say, God, I don't want to fight you anymore. I want to follow you. My path's the wrong path. Your path is the right path. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Today, I want to follow Christ. If that's you, I want you to stand right now. Don't wait another moment. Just stand to your feet. Today, I want to follow Christ as my Lord and Savior. God bless you as you stand in the back. Our ushers are going to bring an information packet to you. We want to just help you take that next step. We're going to pray together in just a minute. I'm going to count to three. And as I count to three, I want you to stand. And we're going to pray with these that are standing here today. This is your moment. Man, this is your moment. Today you can stop fighting. Today you can start following. One, this is your moment. Two, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Three, this is your appointed hour. God is calling you. He sent his son Jesus for you if you'll follow him. If you're standing, let's just pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody in the congregation to pray it out loud with me. But if you're standing up, this prayer is just for you. So let's pray it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and my Savior. I choose today to follow you to be my Lord and my Savior. I commit my life to you. And I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus rose from the dead and he is my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's give the Lord praise. You can take your seat this morning. Amen. Amen. We want to say to you today, we love you, and we are so glad you're here and excited about what God is doing. Uh, for those that stood to pray today, we want to congratulate you. Welcome to the family. Amen. Come on, one more time. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen.